0: Hey, I'm Natasha Crane.
1: And I'm Elisa Childers. Welcome to Unshaken Faith, where we equip you to live your Christian faith boldly in a chaotic culture.
0: So you may have noticed that we have an interesting title for this week's episode. Word salad, poppycock. This is what a well-known Christian influencer called my comments on the He Gets Us campaign last week. And no, there was no further engagement with any of my actual points. It was just the insult. While his choice of words made for a fun episode title, this was just a tiny part of a whirlwind of criticism I've received for sharing my concerns about the He Gets Us campaign. Meanwhile, Lisa was on the receiving end of her own wave of criticism this week in response to her comments regarding the question of revival at Asbury University. For example, one person called her a false prophet, told her not to hate, and advised that he would be... Praying for her. There couldn't be a better time for both of us to reflect just a bit on the subject of how to deal with criticism when you share your beliefs. So, in today's episode, we just want to encourage you with some thoughts on how to respond when it happens in your own life. But first, for those who would like to hear our Word Salad Poppycock in person,
1: Alisa has information on our next Unshaken Conference. (laughs) The musician in me, it's like all I can do to not write a song called Word Salad Poppycock right now. I just hear like a a game show jingle, Word Salad Poppycock. You know, it's just, it's so amazing. (laughs) But I do want to remind everybody that we're going to be in Chino Hills in Southern California on May 6th at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills for the Unshaken Conference. Go to uh, unshakenconference.com for Tickets and register. You can register for that right now. I also want to let you know. Natasha mentioned that I made some commentary on the Asbury revival Uh, yesterday. I recorded a dialogue with the president of Asbury Seminary and Gavin Ortland about the events at Asbury University, and that will come out on Justin Brierley's unbelievable podcast on Friday. So be sure you look for that because it was a really interesting conversation, and I hope that it will really help people give clarity to what uh, has been going on there. and just some ways to be thinking about it. But here's my tip of the week. So as we think about engaging with one another, and often when there's going to involve some criticism, I like to put things in different categories. We don't want to be a heresy hunter where we're just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing so we can prove that they're wrong. But on the other side of things, we don't want to err on the side of unity at all costs, and we don't challenge anybody. So how do we find that balance? Here's the categories I like to think about. There are in- house debates where they're not salvation issues, but they might be things we do need to discuss. And so if I disagree with a brother or sister in Christ, the mentality I want to have is family. So if it's an older gentleman that I disagree with, I want to think to myself, how would I approach my dad if I disagreed with my dad? Or if it's a woman my age, how would I approach my sister if I disagreed with her on something? If it's a younger person, how would I approach one of my children if I thought they were wrong about something? And so to keep that family... uh, mentality, that helps us avoid cancel culture and give people a long rope for those in-house debates. Now, there are debates that happen out out of house, so to speak. So these are salvation issues. This would be like if people are denying the atoning sacrifice of Jesus or the fact that humans are sinners or that Jesus is coming back to judge the living and the dead or that hell is a real place. There are scriptures where we are to mark and avoid, so we have to do the hard work of doing that sometimes. But for those in-house debates, keep a family mentality— so that we don't slip into cancel culture, which is just uh, just so rampant right now.
0: That is such great advice. And it's a perfect tip for the topic of today's episode too, as we're talking about dealing with criticism and how these things come up when we're engaged in these kinds of conversations. I love that. Well, my tip is to follow influencers on social media who have a different worldview than you do. I learn so much from doing this. You will see what concerns are top of mind for other people. You'll see how they view Christians. You'll see how their commenters respond and so much more. And this means progressive Christian influencers or atheist influencers influencers, new agers, anyone who has a different worldview than you. And what this does is it gives you a window into online communities that are other than the ones that you're normally seeing. And it's really eye-opening. The more you understand about how people of other worldviews think and process reality, the more you'll be equipped to have conversations with those in your own life who hold those views. And for the record, just in case you're thinking, I don't have time for all that, you don't need to engage with all of those people that you follow. So you're not taking over a new job in your life. Just be a quiet observer and learn. You'll see these things come up in your social media, you'll learn from them, and then you can apply them in your own life.
1: That's really good. I think it also helps us avoid echo chambers because those algorithms are so finely tuned to just pump in information that you like and agree with. So we have to actually make an effort to see the perspectives that we disagree with. That's really good advice. Well, like Natasha said, it's been quite a week for both of us. So when I shared a video uh, last week about just some thoughts and concerns about my trip to Asbury, I happened to be speaking at a women's conference on the Saturday night after the revival had broken out on the Wednesday. And so I decided to go to Asbury on Sunday morning, and I made a video sharing my experience. Um, you know, I thought that I, I'm cautiously hopeful that the Lord is really working in the lives of students, but I also shared two or three points of concern to to just ask people to be discerning through and make sure we always compare everything with the Bible. And I thought it was really quite reasonable opinion. But um, honestly, Natasha, I've never been more attacked, I think, for a piece of content that I've made than that one. And so I have had to deal with that pushback and ask myself a lot of questions and just talk to the Lord about a lot of this stuff because it's hard none of it it's not easy for any of us so our point in this episode isn't to respond to the specific criticisms we received we're not going to try to defend ourselves or anything. that's not what this is about instead we want to help you identify categories of criticisms that Christians get when we share our beliefs and our views with others and this is what can happen online or in person you might not have a podcast or a blog But when you share your thoughts publicly in any way, you're going to inevitably receive these types of criticism. And to be clear, we're going to be the first to admit up front that we're talking about it because it is hard to deal with the things people say. I don't particularly have a thick skin. I've heard Natasha say the same. You know, it's not like we're just these thick-skinned people that it rolls off our back. We're we're not talking about this because we find it easy and we want to share some kind of hardened expertise. Um, Criticism can really affect anyone. And so we just want to share some things we've learned along the way, and we hope that it helps you. So let's start with criticism in the form of pure insult. This is the word salad poppycock variety. And Natasha it was actually, to quote it accurately, was laughable word salad po- poppycock, I believe.
0: You're absolutely right. There was a laughable in there, just adding a little bit more to the insult. You know, I've, I've handled insults in a couple of different ways over time. And it, it for me, it really depends on the context. So on the comment thread where this person called my writing a laughable word salad poppycock, it actually encouraged quite a few other people. And these were Christians for the most part, from what I could tell, to come along and also make fun of what I had written, just throwing insults. So in this case, I did choose to respond. And I just suggested that... That, hey, there's a better way that we can engage on this, amongst some other things that I that I pointed out. But I chose to do this because this was a high-profile person, and I honestly hoped to demonstrate a more reasonable interaction. I knew that there were going to be a lot of Christians who would see that thread, because when people get tagged on Facebook, this always shows up in people's feeds. And so I basically wanted to set an example of a better tone, showing that when someone does insult you, here's a way that you can respond. And Elisa, we've talked about this before on this podcast a lot of times when you interact on social media it's not necessarily for just the person that you're directly engaging with but for people who look on so for me this was one of those cases i wanted to set an example of a better tone when someone chooses to insult you but that said in a lot of cases i do think that the best response when people insult you is to say nothing at all chances are if they're resorting to insults they're not going to engage on a more reasonable level lisa what do you think
1: yeah, I, I find the best course with the just pure insult variety is just to ignore. Generally speaking, I think you were wise to respond because of the various factors that that were involved in that specific instance, but most of the time I'll leave it though. I'll leave it up so other people can see because people. I think pe- when people see how others respond to things that we're saying, it might give them a little courage to say, "Well, you know, this is going to be coming for me tomorrow if I make these kinds of stands." And so it can yeah. help people to be a little bit more cre- courageous. If I do sense that it's somebody I do want to engage with, often I'll ignore uh, the the comment and, like you said, just model a better way. Try to show some love and some compassion and maybe ask a well-placed question to try to engage them in a conversation that isn't going to just be tit for tat and who can have the best, you know, internet burn today because that's not the example we want to set as Christians. And another type of criticism you're going to encounter is criticism of your motivations. This is huge right now, you guys, in our culture because our culture has largely abandoned the idea that objective truth exists or can be known in the areas of morality and religion. When Christians come around saying things are right or wrong morally or right or wrong theologically— usually people aren't really interacting with what you're saying. They're just trying to figure out why you would be saying things. I've had people tell me that Mm -hmm. I'm saying what I'm saying just because I want to make money or build a brand, and that can be really difficult to deal with, and it can be hurtful because you know your motivations and God knows your motivations. So my number one advice when it's that type of a thing is actually take it seriously and pray. I say, Lord, is this true of me? Is this my motivation? And if there's any truth in that, repent. Ask the Lord to forgive you. Ask him to shine light on your motivations. And just view that as an opportunity to practice humility. If you're confident that that is not true about you, what the person said, I would again ignore the accusation for the motivation and keep bringing it back to the point. So you might say, well, uh, you know, let's talk about the point I actually made. What did you think about that? Or what do you you disagree with in my original post? And that might be a way to keep things back on track. And even if there's something that you can admit, if they say, hey, you're just biased because you want Christianity to be true or something like that. It might be good to just say, look, I do want to acknowledge my bias. I do find Christianity beautiful. I do want it to be true, but I'm going to do my best to put my bias aside and investigate these claims based on what's actually true. Would you be willing to do the same? And I think that can lead to more fruitful conversations. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with you. This is, I think, the most
0: tip- the most difficult type of criticism to deal with because it feels so personal. Mm-hmm. You know, no matter how wrong someone is in assigning you a motive, there is no way to prove that they're wrong. You literally can't show them inside of your head or your heart directly. So it's a criticism with nowhere to go. So, I, you know, I experienced this in the He Gets This Thing also because just yesterday there was somebody who was very angry online tagging me on Facebook and saying that I was trying to slander the creators of the campaign. Slandered. Hmm. That means I was, they were saying that my motivation for writing an article pointing out some concerns about the campaign was that I wanted to damage someone else's reputation. You know, there's just no way that you can reasonably get that from anything that I said or implied. So there was no. There was no possible way for me to engage with this person on the actual points. They just wanted to believe that I had a very different motivation. And a common example of, I think, how you'll see this kind of bad motivation, criticism in culture is when people say you hold a view you because you're fearful. I bet mm. you've seen a lot of that, Aliza. Oh, Yeah. We hear this all the time. Christians are supposedly phobic of various things. So for example, you are transphobic if you don't believe teenagers should be put on puberty blockers or that drag queen story hour is a healthy experience for small kids. But when you call someone phobic, it's just a way to bypass conversation and place you in a category of moral inferiority. So I think that is a common thing that a lot of people will experience out in culture is just the accusation of having a fearful motivation. So my advice on this one is basically the same as yours, uh, Elisa. if someone's going to go to the level of criticizing your alleged motivations rather than engaging with your points, you're probably not going to be able to change their mind about those motivations. So don't get caught up in trying to debate that and to prove that, no, this isn't my motivation. It's a red herring, and it's really just another form of insult like we were talking about before. But if you are going to engage, what you said, Elisa, is is perfect in terms of just saying, hey, can we set that aside? Motivations aside, let's talk about the points themselves. A third type of criticism you'll see is criticism of your knowledge or your experience. So, this is when people discount what you have to say because they claim you just don't know enough about a subject to have a correct view. Now, sometimes this is a perfectly legitimate criticism. We just don't know what we don't know. And if somebody comes along to suggest that, hey, you're missing some important information here, then we should be open to hearing what that information is. The problem is a lot of the time, this kind of criticism is leveled in a way that's designed to make you feel dumb. So for example over the years I've had a lot of atheists who will post on my blog or social media and they'll have this giant list. It's kind of a reading list of all kinds of scholars and journals and books and so on that are uh, talking about some other opposing view and they want to know if I've read them. And the implication of course is, you know, if you had read all of these things then you would have a different view than the one you did. So how are you doing on that reading list? That's kind of the <laughs> idea. It's basically a passive-aggressive way of saying you don't know what you're talking about. I think the best way to respond to this kind of criticism is to take the higher road and ignore the condescension. So you can simply acknowledge what you don't know and then share how you came to the conclusion that you did. Be humble enough then to ask, "Hey, what specific information, given what I just said about how I came to my conclusion, do you think I haven't given enough consideration to? All the reading lists aside, what specifically do you think I should know more about? So in doing that, you demonstrate how to take the condescension out of the conversation and get to the actual subject.
1: That's so good. And I experienced this quite a bit because of my background in music. People will say things like, oh, she's just a singer. What does she know? Go back to music. And so I want to share this quick story with our listeners. I think it will encourage you. But back when I used to be on Twitter, there was a very high profile scholar that just got very vicious toward me one day. And he said something like, go back to singing, honey, or something like that. And everybody was tagging me. All the progressives were tagging me. And it was was just a lot of pressure. And I was pretty much decided I was going to ignore. I was praying about it. other people were you know jumping in and piling on. But then what happened was, it turned on him because he had said, go back to singing. There was a feminist who would have normally been against me, who came into the comments and actually started attacking him for his misogyny. And then they just turned on each other. And I felt like Homer Simpson and that gif where he kind of backs into the bush. Have you all seen that one? And I was Absolutely like, I'm out of here. I'm, I'm just going to ignore. So sometimes ignoring is really, really good when it's this kind of thing. If they want to attack your experience or your knowledge, you can also— you you have every right to just ignore what they're saying and see what happens. And it worked, you know, in my favor in that case, doesn't always do that, but I thought that story might <laughs> encourage everyone. But right. finally, this, this, this last kind of criticism is criticism of your viewpoint itself. And I think, you know, this. there, there are good ways and bad ways to express an opposing viewpoint. If someone is taking, taking the time to engage with your actual reasoning and your actual big biblical points, then I think it's a good idea to not be defensive and just retreat to a place of Thinking we're being attacked. If it's if it's a good faith disagreement, um, then I then I think that that that's a good thing to to possibly consider engaging. But when people just attack your view in a number of ways because they disagree and they don't really want a conversation, that's another thing. So I I think that's just maybe something to be thinking about. That uh, as far as your viewpoint itself, that's really where you need to pray about. Okay, is this worth engaging? And if you feel it is, and the person has a good faith opposition, that's probably the best environment to go ahead and engage and ask questions and uh, ask things like, how did you come to that conclusion? Have you considered this viewpoint? And to try to keep the the blood pressure in the room down.
0: Yeah. And I think the whole, he gets us thing has been such a good example of this. This is what we're seeing online everywhere with people talking about this. You have one person who might say, I love the ads. Hooray. Jesus was talked about during the Super Bowl," And then another person posts back, you know, I can't believe you think that these are good. Do you have any discernment? You know, that kind of viewpoint criticism is just pointless. In this case, one person is saying the other person's really wrong, but they're not offering any actual points as to why. So if you're the person being criticized in that kind of way, Just like Elisa said, ask the other person a simple question. Say, okay, you clearly have a different view than I do. How did you come to your conclusion? In other words, deflect the mere criticism and turn the conversation to something that can be productive.
1: That's good, and don't forget our tip from one of the past weeks where we talked about burden of proof. If somebody is making a claim, avoid making a claim. Ask them to demonstrate why they believe what they've said is true, and the burden of proof is on them, not on you. Well, thanks so much for listening today. Don't forget to subscribe to the Natasha Crane podcast and the Elisa Childers podcast for long-form episodes where we individually go deeper into topics like these, but for now, let's remember that as Christians, we have a firm foundation to stand on, that as Psalm 61 puts it is our rock and salvation, our fortress where we will never be shaken.